You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, KDC of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by Mo Stewart after a week away. Mo, how are you getting on, mate? Did you miss us? Uh, I did, actually, yeah. Uh, I was a bit of a loss last Thursday, uh, particularly as... Um, there wasn't much else in my world that was happening. But I was hoping that in a time away, there would have been some big things happen that we could come back and talk about. And I guess that's kind of true. Some things have happened. Yeah, well, I was kind of the opposite, if I'm honest. While I was away, I was thinking, this is going to be a busy week. This is going to be transfers coming out in years and things like that. And I'm not even going to be able to talk about any of it. So thank you to Jürgen for, for hanging on a little bit. It looks like everything's probably going to happen this week, which is good. Um, and we're going to talk about them today, um, along with other, other things, talking points around pre-season and things like that as well. But I think, obviously, there's only one place to start, and that's probably with Romeo Lavia. Um, I think the last episode we did, we did speak about him, didn't we? But I can't remember roughly where the transfer was at that point. Was it just rumours or...? Yeah, I think we were more thinking around the comparison of him and his value. I think that's really where the conversation was at that point because we both, well, I was probably a little bit more sold on him than you, but <laughs> I think we could both see value in the transfer. But then that value was kind of like, is it 50 million's worth of value? And is there going to be a world where we can get to some kind of compromise? And it appears that that's what we're engaged in, whether or not or how successful we're going to be is going to depend, as you say, over the next couple of days. Yeah, well, as as of right now, it looks like Liverpool's next bid is probably going to be about forty five million. Uh, whether that gets accepted or not, we don't know yet. But yeah, it, apparently it's it's a transfer that's got the green light. It looks, according to the Athletic, I think, said that uh, it's highly likely that it'll happen and things like that. And I've I've heard that they want him on the flight to Singapore, so <laughs> that could happen while we're podcasting now. To be honest, yeah, but um. Forty-five million for Romeo Lavia. Let's say it happens. What are your thoughts, Mo? Are you happy with that? Um, yes, but I think there's still a slight caveat around it because we're going to go on to talk about Fabinho, and I think part of some of the retirements some people had around him earlier on when we were highlighting him was the idea of him coming in straight away, and the, the idea of him being. Is it a project to develop or is he someone who's going to be able to come in straight away and contribute? 
if he does make it onto the plane to Singapore, then that may well give us an indication around that because we're obviously going to be playing Leicester City, who were a Premier League side, they aren't anymore, but then Bayern Munich, who are very much of the elite. So if he does get a chance to play in those games, it'll be an indication, or at least if he gets picked to play in those games, it'll be an indication of whether or not they're looking to fast-track him into the team immediately, or this is still they still have another plan for Chelsea. But stripping all of that away and thinking of the player himself, I do think he's a good player. I do think he's one who will probably turn out to be worth the investment. Whether or not it was worth it in terms of what we need to do now and what else we can and can't do, that's a different story. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot of money to be playing now. But uh, I agree with you. I think he's a good player. I'm excited to see how he gets on if he does come to Liverpool. And, you know, considering his, his age and things like that, he does have a lot of time to repay that transfer fee. And to be honest, even if it doesn't overly work for him, and, you know, we're, we're talking about four years down the line or something like that, and he's not getting as many minutes as he wants, I highly doubt that we're going to have to take much of a hit if we do even sell him. So I don't think the risk... Because by then, he's, he's talking like 20, 23 years old, 22 years old. So I think in terms of the risk in that sense, taking like a financial hit on him in, in any way, yeah. it sounds like a lot of money, but you, it's it's similar to when we bought, say, a few years back, we bought Christian Benteke for about 30-ish million or something like that. But I think one of the reasons at the time we bought him, even though Edwards wasn't really sold and Rodgers was, is because Edwards kind of knew he, he would... We can sell him for about the same price anyway if he if he doesn't work. Um so yeah, I'm I'm all right with that one with, with Larvey. I think he could be worth forty-five eventually. I don't think he's particularly worth that yet. But you're paying for that kind of future performance, that future evolution. Definitely. Uh, by the way, speaking of Ben Seke, I think that deal persuading Crystal Palace to part with nearly thirty million for him is one of the best transfer deals we've ever done. It's vintage, vintage Edwards, isn't it? Yeah, but, but yeah, I think for Lavia, again, whenever a new player comes in, you think about giving them the best possible environment to go out and succeed. Um, I wonder for him whether that is him not starting the first game and still having time to develop into the role and whether or not over the course of the games against Leicester and Bayern, we're going to see what the plan B is, because I don't really think what we've seen so far in the preseason games is really going to be that indicative of what we're going to see come the Premier League start. No, I agree. I think Trent, the, the invasion stuff from right back, I think is what Trent is, is going to keep doing this season personally. Obviously so far he hasn't really done that, but that's because we haven't got any midfielders to do the holding role, which is what we're looking at now in the market, potentially where Larby is getting linked. Um, but it, w- it will be interesting to see if if Lavi is kind of the only addition in, in, in that department when it comes to losing Fabinho and Henderson. You know, are we going to replace both of those with, with, with one youngster or are we going to replace both of those with, with Lavi and um, someone who's basically been around the block a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Um, if it was Lavi on his own, I'm assuming you'd be a bit worried. Well, I think it would be placing a lot more onus on Stefan Bajsetic if it is that way around. Yeah. Because, again, I think I can understand think going into season thinking he's going to play more than he did last year. But that doesn't necessarily mean to say that he's going to, be, between him and Lavia, 
they're going to be able to lock down that position. I do think with them still both being so young that it would help to have someone more experienced because, of course, we are losing two midfielders and two midfielders who often play together. So there's going to be times we're going to need someone else who has maybe some other qualities anyway. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were looking at someone else who can play that position, but also one other. Yeah. I also think as well, in, in terms of Lavia, like obviously we've touched on him quite a bit lately and things like that. And I think for me, one of, one of the main reasons I can see Liverpool signing him and, and one of the reasons he's, he, he's costing this much and he's being kind of maybe prioritised over um, some more established players who, who could do a similar job to him yeah. is the fact that he's homegrown, I think. I think the fact that he's homegrown is a... It's a, it's a generally boring topic, I think. <laughs> so, and not, whenever you say homegrown, someone in a room just rolls their eyes or something, you know what I mean? But I think uh, considering this summer, Liverpool are losing Henderson, Milner and Ox, and then you look at the futures of Kelleher, the futures of um, Nat Phillips, nice. even Fabio Carvalho, and even Joe Gomez. It's one of them where it's just kind of bubbling, I think, behind the scenes a little bit. And yeah. I think considering we need midfielders, proper regeneration in that, in that department, it would it does make a lot of sense for one of those midfielders to be homegrown. Then you throw in there that Lavia is recently relegated. And I think it, it's almost a bit of a perfect storm where even if it is a bit of an overpay for what he is now, it's probably still worth doing that. I sent a newsletter on that yesterday that like it's it does make a fair bit of sense when you consider everything rather than just looking at exactly what he is now. Because I think I've been a bit little bit guilty of doing that. I think I've been a little bit guilty of looking what looking at what he is right now and thinking I want Liverpool to win the league next season. I'm not that sure, but I think Overall, the whole picture, all things considered, I'm not against the transfer by any means. It's 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 one that I am excited to to follow really and, and see how he does and things yeah. like that. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And I mean, to be honest, that's the difference between fans, analysts, journalists on this side of the fence and the managers is that they're able to think beyond what the Liverpool need to fix what happened last season to what kind of players do Liverpool need to be successful over a long period of time? And I do agree with you. I think that Lavia is definitely one who fits that bill as someone who you can become a cornerstone of a good, very good team. But the reason we have our reservations is because we're looking at it thinking, well, that's great, but what about what we saw last year and how do we get to be a good team without having another season like we did last year? That's kind of in our immediate view. It's hard. Last year was so mentally scarring, I think, in some ways, that it's hard to look past it into the future and be really positive about the present without going, well, yeah. It's like it's like you're in a horror film and you're safe, but the killer's not dead. <laughs> I'm yeah. safe now, but am I really safe? Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> 
Um, just out of interest, then, like, I'm going to put you on the spot. If Lavia was not homegrown, do you think Liverpool would be willing to pay 45 for them at the minute? Ooh, that is a tough one. Um, I think possibly, but then again, we can only really truly answer that when we see who else they bring in. If they do bring in another defensive midfielder, then I would say no, they probably wouldn't. But then if they bring in another defensive midfielder or another player in defence maybe who is English, then obviously then that, that works in the other way as well. So it doesn't matter as much. they got a little yeah. bit more leeway. But I think however they came to the decision, and I'm guaranteed that there'll be a board somewhere where all of these little things are written down and all the little columns for each one will have a rating. So all of them will have been considered. But I think the player himself on the pitch is what will have won the day, ultimately, I think. Yeah, the bottom line is Liverpool know a lot more than us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't know that already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be an interesting one to follow. Um, it looks like he's signing anyway. I mean, we, we obviously don't know at this stage of recording, but if he does, good luck to him. And it's, it's going to be an interesting one to follow. But in terms of the outgoings then, because they, they seem to be kind of almost sanctioning this move, obviously Fabinho and Henderson. I, again, I can't, I think when we last recorded it, it just broke that this was a thing. Yeah. And now obviously we had last week off and, and now it looks like both are going. I think in the moment last time, we, we literally had to react there and then. It was like a live reaction, wasn't it, to the to the, to the news. I think now looking back at it, having a bit more time to think about it, I think I'm happy with both deals and especially the Fabinho one. I, I don't think you could turn that down. I think getting forty million for for yeah. current Fabinho after his peak, personally, I think it's after his peak. Like, I think it's a great deal. Like, it's, I think it's a good sale, and um, I think to an extent, Liverpool are almost getting a little bit bailed out here when it comes to potentially two bad contracts, really, that they've given out. They, they give Fabinho yeah. a long contract there up until I think Fabinho's got like another four years on his deal. Now, if you think of what Fabinho looks like now and think of what he could look like in around four years, mate, that's a scary thought, really. And then when you think of Henderson, Henderson was Henderson's original contract was supposed to end this summer, but then he, he agitated a few, a few seasons back, didn't he, for that extension? And I think Henderson, again, was, was due to stay for another two seasons, I think, potentially, maybe yeah. another one. Um, well, his original so, contract would have ended up, would have been run out at the end of this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the, 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 the renewal they signed was yeah. twenty twenty five, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well there you go. I mean I think they would neither of those contracts were particularly great. And I think we're quite fortunate that this kind of Saudi Arabia um transfer craze thing at the minute it has kind of bailed us out a little bit with that. I do think that's true. I think in terms of no one else would likely, maybe some teams would have been interested in him, but at that price, I don't think you're ever going to get in another deal like that. And for that reason, it becomes something impossible to ignore because like you say, we're not talking about a player. It's strange. We're not talking about a player who was still in his prime, but we are talking about a player who we were still expecting to play a lot of games. So even before you can enter in the bad contract, you look at that and you think, that's probably not the way it should be. We should have more confidence in someone who we're expecting to carry such a workload. So 
being able to get him out and his replacement in makes sense at this stage. I think the issue I had, and maybe still do have, is the vacuum of them both because both deals needed to happen. You're right. But do you make it harder on yourself by doing them at the same time? Or do you just have to say, well, circumstances landed in our lap and there was nothing we could do about it, which is kind of the case, to be fair. Yeah, I think one of the one of the concerns I have a little bit is obviously the, the I think the main portion of Liverpool's preseason, as in where you get the majority of your work done, has probably already happened. And now I think when you go to Singapore and you do all the fan stuff and that, I think it's a little bit more almost commercial, a, a little bit and whatever kind of hold the midfielder we get in, whoever's going to hold the force in that first game against Chelsea is going to be kind of getting to grips with that role now um, in Singapore rather than having like the, the proper camp in, in Germany where we we had like friendlies and um, obviously we've got friendlies in, in Singapore as well but I remember I take it back to last season for example when I, I think last summer Liverpool since touched on how they got that one wrong because it was a little bit too global in terms of the preseason so Whoever's whatever six does occupy the the role against Chelsea, I just hope that between now and then, which is like literally two weeks, there's enough like enough time on the training ground essentially to get to grips with what's needed to be done. No, you're right, and I think this preseason has as much as been possible been tailored towards club. I think the fact that they have only gone to Singapore for a week is it, and there's two games there, and then they're coming straight back. That makes me feel like that was kind of a compromise. That was as much as Klopp could get, as close as Klopp could get to no foreign tours at all, which is what we'd have probably preferred. But the first two games in Germany, you look at the 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 way that they picked the opposition. So it was teams from the second division in Germany, so obviously not high standard, but there were teams who were a lot further along their way in their preseason because the Bundesliga two season starts tomorrow. So they're literally really at prime peak physical condition. So the test for Liverpool was to deal with a team who were in better physical condition than they were, who were less likely to get tired because Liverpool were still doing double sessions at that stage. And how you'd work under that pressure. And I feel like that's a different kind of pressure to play in teams at a higher level of technical ability as there will be in Leicester City and Bayern. So you can get away with playing players like um, Jack McConnell or even Trent Alexander-Arnold as a lone six in those games, because you're looking at different things, you're assessing him for different things. But these games coming forward, you're going to need to have a little bit more of a game plan that you can build from towards the Premier League. So it's going to be interesting to see how they line up in those first games. It is, yeah. I mean, you, you've just touched on there on the, the pre-season games in Germany so far. We might as well touch on it now. Um, the four-all. Right. <laughs> so, I was uh, <laughs> I was abroad for this game, so I didn't actually see it. I, I had to watch it back later. But um, at the time, I think towards the end of the game, I was just kind of in the sun with a, with, with a cap over my face. And I lifted the cap up, checked my phone, saw the meltdown put my phone back down, put the cap back over my face. It was just... <laughs> <You're not engaged. laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't even worth it. But I've seen everyone kind of collapsing basically over the over the fact that Liverpool conceded four goals in the second half. 
Eh, what are your thoughts on this one? Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Um, well, to be honest, I watched the first half here. Then I had to go out and do something. So I only caught the second half after the fact. So I wasn't live there for the meltdown either, thank goodness. But <laughs> I think you have to put it all into perspective based on all of the things I just said about the difference in physical condition between the two teams. I think you have to be honest and say that the defence that played in the second half was very much the B team. It was sometimes in preseason games, you'll see more of a mix of the top players playing and then the other players, but it was noticeable that it was Robertson, Canate, Van Dijk in both games in the first half, the A team, they played with Allison as well. And then in the second half, you had Simicast, Matip, Gomez. And obviously those three haven't quite, haven't found their best level in recent performances, I think it's fair to say. And for them to be at the scene of those crimes, so to speak, kind of amplified that, I think. But again, we need to put it into perspective. The, the midfield in front of them wasn't exactly the kind that you'd want to go into a Premier League game with either. So I'm not freaking out, but I think I can't say I'm surprised that some people are. <laughs> yeah, I feel very, very relaxed about it. I don't think it's a thing. Um, in the second half, for example, you've just touched on the midfield there. Like We, we literally don't have a whole midfielder at the minute. And the player who's starting in the at the start of the game in the whole midfield role is, is Trent, um, who is not one either. <laughs> yeah. So in the second half, we, we obviously don't benefit from that play. And I, I do want to throw out there as well. Long-term listeners of this show will know that I am not the biggest fan of Adrian. And um, <laughs> in, in the second half, mate, Liverpool obviously conceded all four. Uh, with Adrian in goal and, and none with Alisson in goal. And even though it's pre-season, this is not something I would ever do, but even though it was pre-season, I checked the XG. <laughs> the XG on the game, right, uh, Grenner Firth generated shots with exactly one expected goals, and we conceded four. If that happens, you probably look at your goalkeeper, to be honest, because you've conceded four goals from shots worth about one. So... It's not one of them. I think if, if Allison's in goal and we concede one and we win the game 4-1, everybody has a complete different perspective on what's happened. So, yeah, just I don't think it's one of them that we need to we need to panic over personally. No, and it's a strange way. I think in every game, you, you, there are positives and negatives. And like we say, with the negatives, you can quite easily dismiss them. The positives, though, I do think are actually more important. And the main positive for me, I think, well, two really, um, Nunes, particularly in front of goal, looking calm and assured. Uh, nevertheless, the fact that he hit the target with every shot, it was that he looked like he believed he was going to score with every shot. But also, 
Luis Diaz, particularly in the first game, um, getting into goal-scoring positions in and around the box in a way that he hasn't a lot and that some people I know don't think comes naturally to him. There's been a lot of talk in certain circles about his ability to score goals and whether or not he's a front three player. Uh, I believe he is. I believe he will. And it was a game that really kind of showcased that he has those instincts. And if he sharpens them, then uh, he will be effective in that position. So those are the kind of things I was looking at from those two games, rather than necessarily some of the more comical moments at the other end. Yeah, I think Nunes in particular is a, a really interesting talking point because he's he's been a prominent feature of this show for the past season in terms of a topic of debate, really, and, and us giving our opinions on him. And a lot of it has been kind of like keep faith in him because he's definitely good. But my, my biggest concern over the whole season was he, he, I don't feel like he was accommodated at any point in a tactical sense. I feel like he was deployed like he's Firmino or deployed like he's Mane. And he's not. He's very different to them stylistically and what he wants to do on the pitch and what he's good at and stuff. So that was my biggest concern in the first season. But so far this this preseason and the back end of last season, we've obviously adopted this kind of box system, this box midfield shape. Um, and I think he started as he started both preseason games, or if he hasn't started both preseason games, he's obviously scored three goals, and a lot of that has has originated from kind of the nature of of what this box allows him to do. Because if you've got them them two advanced number eights position behind them, occupying like number 10 areas, it allows Nunes to leave that job to them and he can just run in behind. And I think certainly two of his goals so far have just been him just literally running in behind or providing the finishing touch or whatever. And that is the main benefits of, of this system that we're now using. It was one of the main benefits, at least the fact that Nunes doesn't have to drift out wide that much, doesn't have to become a midfielder at times. He can just stay in the box, run in behind and finish the move. And I think this season coming, if he's going to start most games in that system, I would expect him to to show why Liverpool paid so much for him. No, I agree. And I think it was crucial that they carve out a role for him in this. I did think that one of the things about the box midfield, what it allowed us to do is for teams to kind of play a little bit higher against us than they would new normally. And that would have given him an advantage. But this is another one here, like you mentioned, the fact that he's able to simplify his game, not have to stray out into areas where he may waste his energy. And he can just concentrate on building the relationship, building up knowing when the triggers are amongst the players around him. And I think you're right. I think he did start both games because in the first game, Gakpo was starting as a midfielder. And that was an interesting point as well, because like you say, if you are going to see him become prominent in the new season, then maybe that's a sign. Maybe the fact that Gakpo is going to alternate between the midfield and the forward line makes you think that sometimes they're going to start together and it will be him behind him. I think the most exciting thing for me, though, was the relationship with Salah, because there were, I believe Salah assisted both his goals in the second game. And I believe he put one on for Salah in the game before as well. And that was something last season that did start to emerge in his best period of the season. His relationship with Salah was really good. I did think that they were starting to get on a wavelength. And if the system allows them to be close to each other as well, 
particularly if you're going to have Trent behind you, he's still occasionally going to be looking to make wide and overlapping positions, then that really does allow him to start to kick on, I think. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, I think it it would kind of impact Shala becoming, I suppose, a little tiny bit more of a creator than he has been in the past. Um, because obviously within this system, the guy at the top, the, the spear, the, the proper spear of the attack is is the finisher, really. If you look at City in terms of Haaland, that, that's kind of how it works. So Salah would probably have to um, supply him a little bit more than he's supplied anyone, really, in in his Liverpool career so far, even though he's been a lot more creative than people think, I think, Salah. But um, in terms of supplying Nunes, it does look like they've got an understanding, which bodes well for us. Uh, and obviously you've mentioned Gakpo there as a number eight. I did think that was a thing, to be honest. I do think he's an option, specifically on the left uh, of the eights. Um, and I think the beauty with Gakpo is if Nunes does start to kind of nail down that number nine spot, I don't think it's it then you're looking at Gakpo and saying, like, you know, we haven't got a place for you. I think he can kind of play virtually. He can play where Diaz played on the, on the, on the left wing. He can play as a left-sided eight. Um I'd be interested to see him as a right side of the league, but I'm not overly sure I can see it as, as as much. But regardless, there's definitely three spots within this system that he can occupy for me. Definitely, I agree. And he's we've seen already that he's quite an intelligent footballer. And I think one of the other things for me from his early Liverpool career that stands out is his goal away at West Ham, where he's in a deeper lying position. And all of the defenders have marked up all of the attackers in front of him. And he just gets it out of his feet and arrows a shot into the bottom corner. So he doesn't need to be close to the goal to be a goal threat. So if you've got someone who's rather than playing, if he's playing false nine and he's dropping into those positions to be creative, be devastating, that's one thing. But if he's in and around those positions already as an eight, then he can still produce from that position. So I think him and his ability to be able to be comfortable in a lot of different roles means that he's probably going to be a guy who Klopp leans on a lot. I think we're going to see him become a backbone of this future team wherever he ends up positional. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's going to be interesting because Klopp's obviously got options um, in terms of that kind of attack and bank of five that we're working with a little bit at the minute. So again, I'm going to put it on spot, mate. Um, this, this obviously can change between now and the start of the season, but as of right now, at least, the attack and bank of five in, in terms of the number nine, the two wide players and the two number eights. Who starts against Chelsea for you? Oh. <laughs> ah. Okay, so I feel like four of them are locked in. Namely, Diaz, Salah, Sobosai and McAllister. Okay. And then it's just, do I go with Nunes or Gakpo? I still trust Gakpo more, but if it's Nunes, then that means that he's done all of those things we were just saying 
and he's able to show that he can be a weapon. So I say go for it. But I do think that it's going to be a game where we're going to need the subs. We've drawn how, countless how many games in a row with Chelsea, with how many different squads and permutations of formations they've had. So for some reason, they are just a tough nut to crack. So we're going to need, I think, all of our attacking options to be able to throw on and come on and actually make a difference in the game. But from a starting perspective, where we stand here now, that's what I think is happening. Yeah, I think for me, um, because it's Chelsea and because it's away, I wouldn't be that surprised if Gakpo starts as the nine, simply because he's better than Nunes is defensively. Yeah. Um, and obviously, when you're coming up against a, a new a newborn Chelsea team, we were getting coached by Pochettino for the full preseason. You don't overly know exactly what to expect, so maybe you just for the first sixty minutes or so go with Gakpo for that. Um, but regardless, I think even if Nunes places the nine, I think Gakpo starts. I don't I don't know where, <laughs> but I think he plays. I think. I think if Nunes plays, I think Gakpo could potentially be in ahead of Diaz personally. But yeah. it's very early to be caught on this sort of thing. So we'll come back to this in a few minutes when we're back. Yeah, it's a, it was a bit of a um, <clears throat> bit of a grenade thrown at you there, but um yeah, we can come back to that one further into the uh, close to the season, which is about two weeks away now. Yeah. But yeah, before we round up, <clears throat> I like to do this every now and then. So in terms of like the transfer window as a whole just looking like across Europe and across the Premier League and things like that, is there any deals that have kind of like grabbed your attention or anything like that? Any players you want to highlight? Any good deals you think have happened? For example, I think I'll just throw one out there now. I think Moussa Diaby to Aston Villa is an interesting one. Um, he's only 24 still. Tricky wide player. Very, very two-footed. Um, kind of being linked with Liverpool a little bit. He's, he had that kind of like two-way inside outside wide player thing about him a couple of yeah. years back and benefited from playing with Havertz who was kind of like the Firmino for him a little bit um so it's going to be interesting to see how how he's used there uh, by by Unai Emery but I think he's he's been o- over 50 million I think for for him which is quite a quite a big deal to be fair but it, it looks like an interesting sign in that one yeah I think Aston Villa are really trying to position themselves to try and capitalize on what they did last season and take it on. And I say fair play to them. I think he, he was who I was going to say, to be honest. I think it's it's fascinating, the fact that Aston Villa have been able to get him because for so long, he was touted as going to a team who were already in the Champions League. I think that was what most people in Germany particularly thought he was going to go to one of the top English clubs. And the deal just never really materialised. There were lots of teams sniffing around. No one really pulled the trigger. But... Unai Emery was there and said, look, I think we can get him in. I think we're building a new team. And when you put that together with Pau Torres from Villarreal, who was in exactly the same position for a long time linked with Manchester United, and they just never really put a bid in. And now he's here at Aston Villa as well. You can see how they can have the nucleus of a team that's starting to come to the boil. So I think it's a really interesting one to watch. Also, it's kind of funny the fact that Leverkusen pretty much brought in Leon Bailey, so they brought in DRB because Leon <laughs> Bailey left, and then he's just rocked up alongside him. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, it's really like the uh, the Premier League version of Leverkusen, though, aren't they? Oh yeah, no, that's true. And I mean, if you look at their trajectory, they've been bouncing between Champions League and Europa League for a lot of time, occasionally having to sell their best player in terms of likes of Kai Havertz, but they're still able to build a good, strong squad. Um, so yeah, I would say those that was interesting. Another one that I want to flag up, obviously it's not quite as under the radar, but an honor to Manchester United. Yeah, um, yeah. Annoyingly, I think that's a very good sign. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm I, glad you said that, actually. I'm glad you said that one. Because I, I, I do think he's going to give opposing fans opportunities to crown him occasionally because he's that kind of guy. I don't think he's... He's not... Um, okay. He's not a, he's not a Van der Sar, one of those kind of doesn't give you a sniff for 95 minutes, complete control, not flashy, just there and does the job. You don't even notice him. He's more, I want to say Bartez at his best, which is hard for most people to hear because most people remember Bartez at his worst as he was for most of his time with Man United. But think Bartez when he played for France. So he was able to be front foot, aggressive, dominant, but not just in terms of protecting his area, in terms of getting the team off to a start. And it worked for them. And I think it works for Anana. If you look at most of Inter's games over the last two seasons, he has been uh, a, a real influence in them winning games and picking up points. And I think he will be for Man United. I think when you combine him with maybe getting a season with a centered, uh, settled centre-back partnership, they could look a lot better, which is annoying. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. I think for me, with him, I think the, the big thing for me with him is, is he, he can actually play football. <laughs> I think I think if you look at David De Gea, I think he's been a massive problem, specifically for a coach like Ten Hag. Because similar to like Guardiola, when, when Guardiola first came in and immediately just said, Goodbye to, to Joe Hart. Yeah. If you can't build moves from your own third, from your own defensive third, it does limit your game a little bit. And one massive, massive quality that Anana's got is he is just unflappable. He's just completely calm at all times, very comfortable with the ball on his feet. Obviously, he's a product of the Ajax um, Academy, so he can play. And that, 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 that for me is the biggest way in which he'll transform United. I think shot stopping wise, he's just okay. I think he's he's uh, maybe a little bit better than okay, but he's not an he's not an amazing for a bit of perspective on that. Over the past five seasons, in three four in Holland and one for Inter, he's overperformed expected goals shot stopping um, by about six point four goals, which is good. You know, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. But for a bit of perspective, again, Allison has over the same period 
Well, not over the same period, but Allison, including one extra season, has overperformed by about 25 goals. So Allison's still the best in the world, the best in the league, comfortably for me. But Man United actually have a goalkeeper who can play football, which is yeah. going to be better for them, I think. Um, another player I'd like to highlight is a lad called Lois Appender, or Lois, or Loic, or something. Lois, I think it is, though. Yeah. Um, I think I'm right in saying he's actually signed. But as far as I know, he's 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 signing for RB Leipzig, and he's basically a lot of the subish line when he's going on him. I think by the looks of it, um, he's just had a really good season for Lens, uh, in which Lens finished second. I think surprisingly, yeah, so scored, oh, right. yeah, yeah, really good season, and he scored twenty one times for Lens, and how many of them were penalties? Only one, I think, was a penalty. Yeah, so he scored twenty nine penalty goals for Lens, and he won um, the season before. He scored 18 for Vitesse in the Eredivisie. So he's kind of moved and now moved again. And he looks like a keen goal scorer there. He's rapid. Um, obviously, we like players from Red Bull as well. So he's an insistent one to look at. He's only 23. And I think he plays as basically as a central striker through the middle, but looks like he could have tendencies to, to, drip, to play out wide if needed or something like that. But he looks like... It's always interesting to see... Who, Red Bull <clears throat> club sign to, to replace these big stars, and he looks like one who's going to be worth tracking. I think you're right. And <clears throat> on that topic, you reminded me of someone else who I was looking at earlier this week, um, Castella Lukeva uh, from Leon, the centre back, who he looks like they're buying to replace uh, Josko Guardiol. And he's a guy who's been really impressive for me for Leon. Leon still know how to produce great young players. He's in, in the way that he plays, he, he's got shades of Ibu because the, he's very confident in what he does. But he doesn't go to ground as often as Ibu. He can be aggressive without going to ground. He's got great passing. Um, the thing with him, apart from him being young, is he's still not very good in the air. He's he's big. He's just not able to use his, his aerial ability to his best. So when I was looking at him earlier on, I was thinking another season at Leon, and maybe he's someone who'll come onto our radar. That's why I hadn't really mentioned him within our left-sided centre-back tracking. But now he's going to Leipzig, then I definitely think that he's going to be one to come onto our radar. So, again, he's one to watch out for next season. Yeah, and another thing as well, I'm not sure you mentioned, and he, he's left-footed too, which is obviously a nice thing for Liverpool targets at the minute. We don't have any left-footers in the centre of our defence. Um, it's one of the reasons why we like Levi 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 Colwell, who's left footed, um, and obviously Gradiol is left footed, and another player who I want to flag that is left footed, and I think this is an interesting one to track is earlier in the summer. Obviously, Brighton tried to get Colwell, um, left footed centre back, couldn't get him, and it looks like they've just got. Their alternative, obviously Liverpool are exploring alternatives now as well. Liverpool are looking at like Inacio and Van der Ven and players like this. Brighton's alternative is a lad called Igor from Fiorentina, Brazilian, twenty-five years old, about seventeen million, which looks like a reasonable price. Um, and he's left-footed, so yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see how he gets on because Brighton typically are very good at identifying centre halves. And they need a left footer. We want a left footer. 
for whatever reason, we haven't gone for this player, even though he's quite cheap, really. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on, Igor. Well, definitely. I mean, he, I must confess, he wasn't someone who jumped out at me whenever I watched Fiorentina in the past. He was a good, capable defender, though. But you're right. At the, the age he's at, I think if he'd have been like a like a, a version in talent, we'd have probably heard about him by now. But by the same token, that doesn't necessarily mean that he wouldn't be able to adapt. And as you say, Brighton have been a great centre-back factory. They've been a great football factory for, for a while now. So we'll have to watch this space and see what they think. Yeah, I mean, unless you've got anyone else to add, mate, we can, we can round up there really for this week. And we'll be back next week, obviously, with, with whatever's happening. But anything to add or should we leave it there? I think we're all right there. I think there is a general defence question to happen, but I feel like rather than have it as one little section at the end, we probably need to do a whole show about that. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I was meant to talk about that when we mentioned the 4-4, actually, because I think one of the reasons people kind of had a bit of a meltdown with the 4-4 is because we still haven't signed any defenders and yeah. people think we need defenders, We, you know, which is a fair comment. Um, but yeah, that's that, maybe that's a conversation for us to have when we start getting linked with actual defenders, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll round up there, mate. So thanks for joining us as always, Mo. No worries, no worries. I'll see you all next week. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.